Ryan, Tony, and Chris We can't guarantee that you're gonna look great. But if you wanna stay in shape, well, you better hit the Chinwits. Welcome to the Gym Wits Podcast. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, aka Chef Sonic. And we are the Gym Wits. So, um, just weird experience on the on the elevator the other day. Um, I thought you might find it interesting or or not. Um, it's probably something that I've seen on TV. I feel like I've seen it on TV. Whatever probably the case on is. Seinfeld or whatever. I don't know. Whatever the case is. Yeah, it sounds like a Seinfeldian type of situation. So um, I get on the elevator and the guy's rushing towards the elevator, like, you know, so I being a nice guy, I hold the elevator door open. Um, so hold, you know, press the door open button. He gets on. He says thank you. He walks over. Somebody else is rushing to the elevator, and this guy frantically pushes the door closed like button. He's just frantic, like like to get the doors to close before the next person could get on. And I just thought that was kind of messed up. You're like, wait, that the guy. So who- I held the door open for someone. And when he got on the elevator, he then frantically hit door close so that the next person who was coming in, at, who was kind of rushing in after oh, him, was that guy who's doing missed. The elevator. I mean, not that like I know I've heard the door close button doesn't do anything, but he could have hit door open. He could have waited for the guy, but instead he was like frantically pressing the button so that the other person couldn't get on. So I just found it kind of ironic. That is a little weird. Do you think he knew that other person just didn't want to see him? No, probably no. No, he's just a dick. <laughs> just like you know, like clearly did not notice the irony of the situation. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. So I just thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. No. It, that is. What, what did you think of that? Uh, that advertisement I showed you earlier. No, oh, the weird. Yeah, I, I don't know. I thought there was a point to it, and then there was. Yeah, yeah the, there was none. Just it's, like, just, the, well, you got to give some context. Now. So I, I don't know why, but j- weird Japanese ads, and this is not the first one for either Japanese products or this or that, have been appearing on my YouTube, uh, you know, my feed. You know, when I watch videos, so you know, they give you ads probably because I was looking up video game music. Maybe in some of them were Japanese composers. I, I don't know, but that's why I've been getting some Japanese. Well, that's why I think I've been getting Japanese ads. So I just saw a very weird ad on sake uh, and this type of sake. It was just very strange. It was this, they were trying to be uh, emotional with it. And it was just so awkward and it like made you almost nauseous watching this thing. I just couldn't turn away because it was so weird. And, I'm, and I was just thinking, who would have given the okay for this? Like people know what's just you know even you know Japanese producers, people from other countries know what's cheesy and which is ineffective. Like it would make me not want to buy the product. So Ryan, can you can't can you think of any? And there was a big budget to this commercial yeah. too, right? It was filmed well in various locations, and they had actors. And I'm just wondering, like, what were they thinking? Like, can you think of any of those? Like, what were they thinking putting so much money behind an ad when there's been so many other effective ways of advertising a product? I, it's one of the things where, like, when you put on the spot, you can't. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the, I'll, I'll try to, you got to email me the link to that um, thing and I can post it so people could see what you were talking okay, about. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think in general, like, it's weird when people put things out. Uh, and you wonder why, what was going on in their head. I've, we've probably done that too. I've probably done it where you just put something out there and you're like, but the difference being that if you or I put something out, like, yeah, w- you know, w- we're not, we don't have the backing of, of, you know, we don't have like marketing people and salespeople and PR people who are, you know, and checks and, 
and second checks and, and people to kind of make sure, you know, somebody down the line is like, ah, it's probably not a good idea. Um, so it's kind of strange when a company does do that and they put and they produce something that's, you know, clearly they spent money and time, you know, and storyboarded it and hired directors and, you know, actors and that somewhere along the line, it was, somebody didn't think, okay, that's pretty, or maybe that's the whole point is that it got you talking about it and now we're going to post a link to it. So now people are going to check it out. I don't think sudden, that was the, you know, the, the so point that, that they were like, let's make something so weird and awkward that people are going to just, they can't turn away because it's so strange. Yeah, I don't think that was the, the, the point behind it. I mean, if it was, then it's brilliant. But I don't think that that's, you know, that's what it is. It just always amazes me when gobs of money go into something that's really terrible when just a very simple, really, this, you really think this is a good idea, right? From someone with a rational head could have, you know, just stopped it or at least made it better in one way or another. It just always interests me. So um, on, on the exercise front, I'm getting huge. I don't know if you can notice just by looking at me with a shirt on, but ever since I've been doing all these, this negative work, uh, these negative workouts, I've like really increased my muscle mass. I can see the difference. Like I'm a little sore right now, but it's, it, it sort of worked maybe just cause I've never done that before. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you could just, if I look any different, just I guess you look a little bit bigger. Yeah. Right. And with, with me, I get bigger in, in, in like a bulky way. So it's not like Ryan who gets bigger, like in an attractive way where like, he's like all ripped and stuff. I just turn into like a, a I just, I just turn into a mass blob. You look like a, like a, you know, 70 strong, not 70, like, like 30s strong man yeah. type of build. Yeah. No, nah, but no, you, yeah, I guess you do look a little bit bigger. So, um, so you've been consistent. I have been pretty consistent with it. It's a nice workout. I'm enjoying it. I'll probably do it for another few more months, right, until my body adjusts to it. Then maybe I'll, I'll want to do a, a a workout that's more based on maybe like a fast interval training, you know, Tabata type thing. I think that might be good, you know, especially when, or maybe do some uh, like stuff like that, a lot of sprints, those types. So I think that would be a nice workout once I'm done with this sort of muscle building phase. Cool. All right, well, we got some interesting studies um, to, to get to before we get to our, our main topic. Um, so uh, I've got three for you. I don't know how much discussion we're going to get out of these. Um, one is a fairly simple, fairly early, uh, early study and fairly small one, but I thought it was interesting. So you see a lot of, um, it's been really big in the NBA, um, kind of people wearing compression like clothing um, for exercise. And, and kind of the idea is that they apply pressure to the joints, which kind of improves circulation, um, you know, helps performance, helps with muscle fatigue. And so this was a, a study involving female soccer players. Um, it was only 20, um, and they split them up into two groups. So basically one group um, that wore, the, stu- wore the, um, the compression, the other group didn't wear the compression. And they basically measured, kind of did measures for agility, and also they did the heel raise, so kind of a calf raise, um, pre- and post-workout. And then they also kind of monitored their heart rate um, as they were actually playing in like a scrimmage. And what they found was that the, um, the group that wore the compression um, performed better um, on the agility test and the heel test after. And they also had better um, lower heart rates um, during the performance. And so, you know, again, it's very, it's very early stages um, in one of the few studies really looking at it, but it's actually pretty interesting. And, you know, the, um, it, you know, the, the, there are a couple of ways, you know, a couple parts to this. So in one way, you can argue, let's say if, if this research does bear itself out, you could argue then that, well, maybe we need to ban the compression stuff because that's an unfair advantage to people who wear it, right? If you, if some people wear it and some people don't, like if you did that, I think with swimming, um, 
if I'm not mistaken. But on the other end, um, if the benefit is increasing muscle endurance um, in a sport like soccer, where a significant amount of the injuries are due to muscle fatigue, you might you may argue that it's better to wear that stuff. That way, you're going to fight off injuries, and and um, people then you know become more durable, um, last longer, and you're not dealing with as many injuries. So that's like an interesting kind of interesting preliminary study um, that may kind of pay dividends down the road as far as, you know, athletic performance and, and, you know, obviously as, as the skill levels are close, you know, every little edge that you can have is going to make a big difference um, or can make a difference in performance and yeah. whether you're winning or losing. Yeah. I don't know. It will be, I think it will be tricky to ban uh, something like that. Sure you can. <laughs> I know, but it just, it, it, it doesn't feel right to me, uh, especially because it's, you're not hurting yourself by wearing it and anyone could wear it. Yeah. So, uh, and f- in fact, it might even prevent, uh, as you mentioned, it might prevent injuries. And one thing that I'm, I'm surprised doesn't happen more often, or maybe we just don't hear about it, uh, are blood clots in, uh, in mainstream sports. Uh, because you're always getting injured. Your uh, blood clot can occur when you, you, some sort of injury, you know, to a leg or anything. And then when you're on a plane, right, and you're sort of stuck in one position for a while that's when a blood clot can actually can can happen i'm surprised we don't hear about it more often in in professional sports because it would seem ripe for something like that to happen but i know that the compression socks might help to fight against blood clots as well so uh and, and i know that people who have well, this blood is clots the, this is for the where the, the longer compression like the entire you know not just the socks but the actual kind of compression shorts or pants oh. i should say well I, I, so, maybe yeah. they maybe they do as well so especially if there was any evidence that says well these help to fight you know blood clots and other injuries that would be make it really hard to ban it and say look we're, we're concerned about the safety of our athletes so if this is something that can make make it safer for them be very hard to ban something like that i guess although it depends if it it really improved performance and then you know what how how far do you let the technology go you know there's i mean there's lots to it and obviously kind of like i said just a preliminary you know an early study into it but um looks good could be useful um and i guess it's not just for show because i think some you know at least it looks like it may not just be for show which sometimes like you you kind of think and you wonder like with a lot of things like are they just doing it because it looks cool or are they you know is it actually useful um and where's the science so um, all right. So the second study I have, um, this is actually a common thing. People kind of, uh, kind of the myth um, is that exercising at night uh, is bad for your sleep. And so this one was actually showing. This study actually shows that that um, exercising even doesn't necessarily cause cause sleep problems. Um, so this was actually um, by the Institute of Human Movement Sciences and Sport in Zurich. Uh, and it was an analysis of 23 studies relating to exercise and sleep. And so what it found kind of overall was that basically after exercise, exercise actually helps with sleep. So in, in general, you're in a deep. So after exercise, you're in a deep sleep for 21 percent of the time versus 19 uh, percent uh, when you don't exercise before before sleeping. And then uh, deep sleep is is important with uh, phys- kind of has um, is positively associated with uh, physical activity. So um, the one kind of caveat they found, though, is that um, and it's only based on one study, but a vigorous workout within one hour of sleep um, is kind of the exception to the rule. So basically, if you if you do like a really high intensity workout. Um, before you go to sleep, it will take you longer to fall asleep, um, at least based on the one study that was involved in, in 23 they looked at. But this is likely because, you know, if you exercise really hard, your heart rate is high and then it takes a little bit while to come back down. So, you know, obviously if you're a person, you know, there, this is subject to kind of anecdotes, I guess. So like if you're a person who, 
you know, if you work out and you find it really hard to sleep at night, then, then, you know, listening to me or this is probably not going to help all that much. You're still going to have trouble falling asleep. So there is, you know, it is, there is a, um, you know, it is person specific to that extent, but you know, it, it, it to, to, you know, at least based on the science, it seems to be that it's, it's a bit of an old wives tale that, you know, exercising late at night is going to call or exercising at night, um, is going to make it hard for you to fall asleep. Not okay. bad. Okay. <laughs> that was simple enough. Um, and then the next study uh, from the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research. Um, now, this had to do with um, kind of gain, gaining and kind of use it or lose it. You know, so the idea that um, if you don't exercise, you're going to lose all your gains. Um, and so this one was, and it, this was interesting. So basically, it was um, four workouts a week. Uh, over the course of three weeks, so ba or three months, sorry. So, so they worked out the, you know, they did four workouts a week. It was an isometric knee extension. So kind of think of an isometric um, leg rate, leg extension. Um, so they did four workouts a week for three months. And then over the following three months, they did nothing, right? And so this was kind of measuring what's the kind of change in the... Um, in size, in in um, voluntary um, strength, in maximum strength. And so what they found was obviously... Obviously, in tra after training, so after three months, there was an increase in size of the legs, right? There was an increase in voluntary activation. There's also an increase in the maximum strength. So if, kind of you, if you subject it to um, electrical stimulation, what's the maximum um, strength? And then also tendon stiffness. So all of those things increased um, through exercise, of course. Um, and then after exercise, what was interesting, so basically after one month, the size gains were lost um, mostly, um, the the tendon stiffness was also lost mostly after two months. However, um, the strength, so looking at the voluntary activation, so what's the maximum you can kind of recruit on your own, and then the maximum strength, they went down, but they were largely retained, especially early on. So kind of goes to show, and this is, this it, it confirms kind of what we kind of already knew or mostly thought, but that, you know, e when you stop exercising, I think the first thing to go is going to be the size, but you don't necessarily lose your strength. So just because you stop exercising for whatever reason, be it, you know, injury or work or, you know, life just happens and you stop exercising for a little bit of time. It's not that you go all the way back down to zero. Um, you can kind of, you know, you, your, the strength is still there. And so, you know, to an extent, which we've talked about before with things dealing with muscle memory, um, you, you don't lose everything if you stop. So, you know, don't get discouraged. You just kind of got to get back on the horse. And a lot of times that size will, will start to come back. Hmm. So, yeah. Those <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no no to crazy say, discussion yeah, no, today. Yeah, okay. So those are the interesting studies for this week. Yeah, no, um, that's, that's good stuff. Anyway, uh, so today we got a really good interview. Um, got Joe Cannon, which sounds like a pro wrestler's name. <laughs> you yeah, think yeah. about it, right? Like Joe Cannon. Um, but we had an awesome interview, um, you know, talking about uh, rhabdomyolysis, if I'm pronouncing that right, um, and supplementation and, and really kind of did a bit of a, you know, a bit of a dive into supplements and um, really you know, had a really good chat. So uh, without further ado, uh, here is our interview with Joe. It's kind of a loose, loose title. Yeah. But, um, but I got my master's in it, so you can't take that away from me. <laughs> 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 All right. So we'll get started in three to hey everyone we are here with joe cannon how's it going joe it's going great how are you guys doing great very well very well joe is an exercise physiologist and he has uh, a master's in you can explain it joe me oh my master's in exercise science nice. uh, my undergrad is biochemistry 
cool, awesome. cool. So yeah, Joe is very knowledgeable. And uh, we have a, an interesting discussion. We're going to talk a little bit about supplements and about Rabdo, which has been a, a recent hot topic on the Gym Wits. Uh, but before we get into that, Joe, we, we always ask about your background in fitness. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to this. I got into the exercise field, uh, more, not so much from a sports uh, background, but from a health and wellness background. I was intrigued by the research linking more physical activity with greater levels of longevity and, and decreased health problems as people grew older. Uh, so, um, And I found myself, when I got into this degree uh, program, that uh, I had a stronger science background than many of my peers. Uh, and and that uh, that actually helped me in school a lot. So um, so from sports, you know, I like watching it on TV. I'll, you know, and when I was a kid, like everybody else, you know, I'd play it, in a, you know, baseball and football in the park and stuff like that. But you know, definitely nothing formal. Uh, I'm I'm a bit of a, a a bit of a researcher, you could say, more than anything else. And so what? Uh... Like where did you, how did you get your start in fitness like in that world did, did was it kind of did you get your education then you kind of jumped into the fitness industry or did you start in the fitness industry and then kind of decide you know what this is the this is what I'm going to pursue in school yeah, my um, my my degrees are very varied from uh, from many of my peers. Uh, I started out as uh, um, with my undergraduate in chemistry and biology, very interested in uh, the biological aspects of aging, and uh, that's where I was pursuing things for a number of years. Uh, and then I kind of had a course direction change when I decided I didn't want to spend 15 hours in a laboratory. Uh, Love doing literature research and spending all day in a library wasn't so fun working with the Bunsen burgers and the test tubes. Uh, and then I uh, started delving more into the exercise and the health and wellness aspect of things and said, wow, I got a pretty good grasp on the biology of all this stuff. And it is very intriguing, very evidence-based. And, and so that's what led me into uh, the exercise science. As for getting into the fitness industry, I think my uh, initial uh, ta- you know, stepping into the waters, if you will, probably came very similar to many people. I was working at a local YMCA and and they knew my background and they offered me a job and I said, yeah, sure. And that was basically it. The rest is history, as you can say. Cool. Well, no, you know, this uh, wasn't kind of initially part of our topic of discussion, but with your kind of expertise and background in, in exercise, you know, in, in kind of dealing with aging, um, maybe if you give us a little bit of, of um, some of the explanation why um, exercise is so helpful towards kind of slowing the aging process. And I know this is a, you know, this whole can of worms that we could get a lot into, but maybe something to share, you know, just some basic stuff to share for our listeners about why, you know, why exercise is so useful to, to kind of slow that process. Yeah, we could we could spend we could spend a long time on that, but essentially, exercise uh, has a myriad effects in the body. Uh, it makes our uh, it helps us repair our DNA more efficiently. So our DNA are constantly undergoing uh, assaults from not only the foods we eat, but uh, also the environment as well. So exercise ramps up our internal DNA repair mechanisms. It helps our blood vessels stay healthy. As we people get older, we tend to get hardening of the arteries. Uh, one of the things that exercise does is it makes our blood vessels much more rubbery as we as we age we and they're better able to respond to nitric oxide so you see your blood vessels will vasodilate better and that's one of the reasons why you'll see people who exercise regularly tend to have lower blood pressures than couch potatoes who you know watch netflix and amazon prime all day long so it'll do that uh gee whiz uh the again it'll it'll offset uh, a condition called sarcopenia which is uh, fancy talk for muscle loss as we get older 
And sarcopenia is a condition that usually begins in our mid-30s and mid-40s and progresses over time. It affects mostly those fast-twitch muscle fibers. But we find that if we exercise you know, throughout the lifespan, that we can maintain more of our fast-twitch powerful fibers, in which case that's going to allow us to better take care of ourselves when we're 80, 90, 100 years old and beyond, hopefully. And so the, we'll be able to hopefully stay out of a nursing home and, and, and have a better quality of life. So you know, the, the effects of, of exercise on the aging process process are, are varied and there's a myriad of ways in which it helps us. Um, you know, the, the sky's the limit, essentially. You can't go wrong by moving. As I, like to, as I often said to my grandmother when she was 100, a body in motion stays in motion, a body at rest stays at rest. And if we rest long enough, uh, we'll rest forever. So the idea is keep moving. Awesome. Oh, that was a great, succinct kind of explanation that really kind of touches on a lot of bases. And that awesome. Thank you. So sure. your book, um, so your book, I've, I got this correct, is called Rabdo, the scary side, the scary side effect. Uh, sorry. Uh, the scary side effect you need to know about. Um, is that, is, do I have that right? Yeah. Okay. Rabdo, the scary side effect of exercise you need to know okay, about. Got it. So now, so I guess, can you tell our listeners, we, it's funny because we just talked about this um, a week ago. Um, we had something down, but I don't think, um, you know, the person had quite the knowledge base as far as you know, what rhabdomyelosis is and how, you know, kind of some of the science behind it. So it's awesome that we have you on this week so we can kind of follow up on that. So I guess you can tell us um, a little bit, you know, kind of what is it and um, why is it something that, that, that people should be aware of and concerned with? Sure. Rhabdomyolysis literally translates into muscle fiber death. And we, the variety of things can cause this. So you, you could be caused by trauma, uh, some medications, maybe some supplements have been linked to it as well. When exercise causes it, over-exercising, it's called exertional rhabdomyolysis or exercise-induced. Essentially what happens here is the muscle fibers die and their cellular contents then escape into the bloodstream. Some of this stuff in high concentrations is not healthy for us and can lead to some pretty serious side effects. Uh, for instance, some of your, I'm sure if you talked about it before, you probably heard about the uh, potential for kidney failure associated with rhabdomyolysis. And that's predominantly due to a protein in our muscles, which in high concentrations is toxic to our kidneys. And the kidney issue seems to get the most attention, but I like to uh, draw people's attention to the fact that rhabdo can also lead to liver abnormality, liver problems. Uh, so there'll be elevated liver enzymes. Uh, there could also be uh, heart rhythm abnormalities. Your heart may start to beat irregularly. Regularly and in extreme cases, uh, this could bring about a heart attack. There are cases of rhabdo-induced heart attack occurring as well. There would be increased swelling of the arms and legs, depending on what muscle was involved in the activity. It would be significant. You can see it. Um, I was talking to somebody just the other day who said she could, couldn't fit in her jeans the next day. I've talked to other people who said they couldn't bend or extend their arms. The swelling was so bad. That may actually require surgery to correct if doctors cannot bring it under control. Uh, so there's a variety of issues that can arise from rhabdo beyond the kidney aspect, although I do, I do agree the kidney. Uh, failure uh, side effect is definitely very significant. So people might be getting scared, especially yep. the avid exercises or people that may be doing CrossFit uh, and stuff where you're really pushing your body. How yep. difficult is it to acquire rhabdo? Is it just an issue of exercising too much and not resting enough, not getting proper nutrition, maybe drinking too much? Or is it something that it's a, you might not realize that you're pushing yourself too hard? Maybe you feel good and then one day you're like you something bothers you, you go to the doctor and oh now you're you know you're you've been diagnosed. Yeah, you asked a lot of questions in that <laughs> Sorry. in that sentence. So um 
you know, the when when we talk about rhabdo, a lot of people are under the impression you have to exercise intensely to get it. I like to bust that myth whenever I possibly can. I have met people who have gotten rhabdo from gardening, and while most people don't don't think of gardening as intense, the thing to remember with rhabdo is, it, it, and the way I usually discuss it in, in when I teach classes on this is that rhabdo occurs when you do a lot of stuff you're not used to doing, and so if you're not used to say gardening and you do enough of it, potentially it has it, it could arise. If you're not used to taking a group exercise exercise class and you do enough of it, you push beyond your mental limits, your mental breaking point, so to speak, that could bring it about. So the thing with rhabdo is that when you do activities that are unusual to you, that you're not used to or haven't done in a long time, if the activity is repetitive over and over and over again, and usually if it contains a lot of volume, you're in the class for 45 minutes uh, or an hour, or you're doing a lot of sets and a lot of reps with little or no rest, that can bring about rhabdo. Uh, yet, Yes, uh, not getting enough hydration uh, can make this condition worse, but I like to tell people that drinking water does not stop rhabdo from occurring. It may reduce the incidence of it occurring by keeping maybe your core temperature down a little bit but it will not stop muscle fiber death. And that's a message that I think the exercise community needs to hear more because when they hear rhabdo, they hear, oh, you got to drink a lot of water. My advice to anybody who thinks they have rhabdo is get to the emergency room. Doctors will diagnose this in 10 minutes with some with some various blood tests and urine tests and stuff like that. Um, but drinking water sitting there silent is not the answer. And I, and I think that's something I need to get out whenever I can because I, you know we talk about how, how common is this and, and rhabdo, is often said to be a rare side effect of exercise. Well, if it's so rare, how come every time I, every day I go on, say, Twitter or Instagram, I see people in the hospital with hashtag rhabdo? I just saw it again today. Um, so is it, is, is it more common than people think? I think it might be. Um, I, I don't know the answer totally because no one's tracking the incidence of rhabdo in the general population. Um, the only only group that I know that uh, tracks this is the U.S. military because uh, they have seen rhabdo over the years you know, in the Marines, Air Force, et cetera. And they've been working to bring that down. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of it in, say, the police academy. And if someone's going to be a fireman, they get it as well. But in the general population, I can't tell you. I just know that I see a lot of it, you know, on online, on, on you know, Instagram, for instance, or Twitter uh, a lot when people use hashtag rhabdo or hashtag rhabdomyolysis. I, have, I, have, I, I look at these hashtags regularly. And so I, I, I see them an awful lot. So it, it is not just the intense exercise. It's unusual exercise. It's a lot of volume, a lot of weight reps and sets in a short period of time. And again, it's when you do things you're not used to doing. So if you've never taken a group exercise class, for instance, um, that is a possibility. You mentioned CrossFit. And while they often get a, a lot of talk when I when I mention rhabdo, the, oh, CrossFit, you know, it's interesting that um, there are reports of people getting rhabdo who are not taking CrossFit classes. So, you know, they, you know, I, I think they sometimes get an undue um, association with this disorder. Um, there are There are cases of uh, people getting rhabdo in indoor cycling classes, for instance, you know, uh, quite, and again, I've, I've actually talked to several of those individuals. Uh, there's also reports of people getting rhabdo working with one-on-one -on -one with a personal trainer in a gym. And, and so it's not just a group exercise thing or a CrossFit thing. This is a, this is an issue that I think the fitness industry needs to address more. But again, getting back to uh, CrossFit, you know, it, I was literally saying this, this recently to someone, CrossFit fitness trainers are the only people out there that I would expect to know what rhabdo is because their CrossFit manual discusses it. And that's actually, 
actually an issue that the fitness industry does not talk about too much. Um, I have their textbooks of, of the most major fitness organizations, and I don't see Rabdo mentioned in any of them. Uh, you know, you mentioned my book on Rabdo, which is the first book ever written on Rabdo and exercise. But I also wrote the first personal training textbook that addresses Rabdo, um, and, and I and I wrote the first edition of that many years ago. So uh, it, it is something that I think a, a lot of fitness trainers need to take more seriously, and and the general population as well needs to be better educated about this disorder. Just a quick comment on that. Whether it's super common or you could say, well, the general population happens in one in every 100,000 people, right? The, the fact is that there are a lot of people that suffer from it. And if there are a lot of people, even if it's relatively uncommon, that's still a lot and it's still something that should be paid attention to. So I don't hold it's not that uncommon. So we don't have to worry that. I know I don't I don't buy into that. Anyhow, so Ryan wanted to mention something. Yeah, so a couple questions. Um, one is, I guess, what are the symptoms that, you know, someone, if someone suspects that they might have it, what are the symptoms? And maybe how does it differ from DOMS? So, you know, how, how would you know you're dealing with rhabdo versus just dealing with like a, a you know, just a, a case of dealing with DOMS? Is there kind of a gray area where they overlap? Like if you can give us a little bit more on that, it'd be great. Sure, sure. So um, if, if a lot of people talk about when they, they think they might have rhabdo, they'll get online, they'll do some searching and they'll find some website and they'll say, you know, if you have dark colored urine, you have rhabdo. Well, I would agree that if your urine looks like, you know, iced tea or cola colored, that's not a good sign. Okay. And so I understand why people would say stuff like that. And, and, and again, that is one of the, you know, so-called litmus tests, if you will, for rhabdo. The th one, one thing I do like to point out to people is that not everybody with rhabdo gets that symptom. Um, and, and I've talked to many people over the years who did not have the dark colored urine symptom. And so I, I normally, when, when someone says to me, you know, do I have rhabdo? Uh, the thing that I would, I would ask them is, did you recently, like today or yesterday, do an activity or exercise uh, regimen that you had not done before? And if the answer is yes, uh, I, would, I would then say to them, are you in pain or do you feel pain when you're not moving? And this gets to your second question, because how do you tell the difference between rhabdo and delayed muscle soreness? Because they do share some commonalities and they both hurt. But the thing to remember is with delayed muscle soreness, the one we've all had and we work out a little bit too hard, you know, delayed muscle soreness doesn't hurt until you move or press on that muscle. And so everybody listening to us right now, if, you, if they have a delayed muscle soreness, you know, just, stand, just sit still and, and see, do your muscles hurt now? Odds are they don't. And that's delayed muscle soreness. But if you are in pain and it's really, really bad pain, um, people report with rhabdo, that that'll, that with the fact that you did something you weren't used to doing recently within the last 24 hours or so, that would make me, you know, make my spider sense start to tingle a bit and make me wonder if maybe you might have rhabdo. At that point, I might say, you know, how does your urine look? But that's not going to be my main litmus test uh, because that doesn't happen with everybody. And also, you know, sometimes people who have rhabdo, their urination actually decreases which makes sense when you consider their kidneys are being impacted. And so if their kidneys are impacted, their urine, their urine volume is going to decrease. Uh, so pain when you're not moving, uh, coupled with the fact that you recently did some activity or exercise that you were not used to, um, that would make me wonder if you had more, if it was more rhabdo than delayed muscle soreness. So um, that, would, that would be my answer to that question. Cool. So now is generally when you're dealing with rhabdo, is it a, is it kind of a, is it a fast onset or is it something that kind of can happen gradually like is it you know you, do you you know will you kind of know pretty quickly that okay something's wrong or does that that pain kind of start 
at a lower level and build, let's say over the course of a day or two or however long, like, you know, that period is from when you do have that tough, you know, new kind of hard, you know, new or different workout. Yeah, great question. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why people confuse rhabdo and delayed muscle soreness. Um, because with, with with delayed muscle soreness, the pain usually pops up 24 to 48 hours, you know, after you do something uh, over like over exercising. Rhabdo is interesting in that the pain often pops up from zero to about 24 hours after you worked out a little bit too much or, work, or did an activity you weren't used to. So the the uh, rising of the pain appears in many cases to be a little quicker than delayed muscle soreness. And the pain over the course of several hours gets worse. And I, unfortunately, I've, I've gotten many emails uh, from people in the past who've literally written me in the middle of the night, you know, my muscles are on, are on fire. I, 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 I'm in agony. I don't know what to do. Everybody's asleep. I'm, a, I'm afraid to, you know, wake everybody up. Up, um, what do I do? And, and I and, and I can see they sent that email at two a.m. and I, I'll get my email. I'll check it at around eight o'clock in the morning, and then I write back. You know, are you okay? Did you go to the hospital? Um, so it, the pain is quicker in, in, in many cases uh, than than with delayed muscle soreness. Also, with delayed muscle soreness, the pain usually is significantly better within four to five days. Um, pain from rhabdo can persist for about two weeks uh, in some individuals. And so I, I, I really wouldn't wait for two weeks. But So, you know, that's why I usually say if you're in pain when you're not moving, pain when you're not moving is never a good sign. Uh, and, and, and that's why I'd always caution somebody to, you know, go get medical attention if you even suspect it might be rhabdo. But if you're just sitting there and you're not in pain, it's usually delayed muscle soreness. Awesome. So shifting gears a little bit, you do a lot of work with supplements. In fact, you have a website, yes. uh, supplementclarity.com. Tell us a little bit about the website first. Yeah, so um, I, I even though I, I'm mostly known these days for uh, writing about rhabdo, uh, I've been investigating dietary supplements for, oh gee whiz, since the 1990s. And so I tend to look at supplements and I'll, I'll write a big review on, the, on, a, on, a, on a dietary supplement or ingredient. And I'll show you the research on the product or ingredient, the pro, the con. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about suspected side effects, essentially give you a big hub of information so that you can make an un, a more informed decision of whether the product is right for you. That's essentially what I do. Now, that's great because pretty much since the, the 90s, uh, when Ryan and I started working out, we started working probably towards the late 90s, supplements were really making a big push and it was really becoming a, a humongous industry and it still is. You still have... Everything from you know a, a pill that's going to make you lose weight, a pill that's going to give you energy, something that's going to help you recover, something that's going to help you gain mass, uh, and and everything in between, and then supplements that are for other wellness aspects that can make you sleep. Like I could do this and, and do that, and they're not regulated, and I think that that's the that's the the big thing. So with that being said, what comes to mind. What are the what are some no nos with supplements? If you see if you see a supplement uh, that makes some sort of claim, right? Based on a certain ingredient, what are the ones that you that immediately should be you should be red flagging? 
Sure. So first off, I, w- I would I would push back and say there is regulation on dietary supplements. Okay. Uh, it, it actually has been around since the 1990s. And if, if people want to d- find it themselves, all they got to do is do an online search for five letters, D-S-H-E-A, D-S-H-E-A. That's the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act. It's been around since, uh, I think, in ni- October of 1994. But I, I get where people say it's not regulated because the regulation of supplements is, is loose um, compared to, say, a prescription medication. Uh, many, for instance, one of the stipulations is companies are essentially on the honor system. Uh, you know, if you're taking, for instance, I don't know, say vitamin C, you know, there's nobody making them put vitamin C in their vitamin C supplement. Most companies do, but they're on the honor system. Uh, and, and so that's why people, I think they, they say, well, there's, you know, there's no regulation. You know, there are some bad apples out there. A lot of, most companies, they, they do, you know, what they're, what they're supposed to be doing, but there have been instances where, you know, supplements have been tested and you find they have less than they say or more than they say, or sometimes even they contain things they don't talk about on their labels. So I, I get where people say there's no regulation. Uh, but yeah, technically there is. But as for, you know, red flags for me, um, you know, here we are, we're in America. So um, I, I like things where I can read the label. And I know I've been to places where, uh, and these are, you know, stores that maybe we've heard of, and I've seen products that uh, are not printed in English. I'm like, well, okay, um, I, I'm, I don't like that. I'm going to put that back. If the label looks cheap to me, uh, if it looks like something I can print on my home computer, uh, I'm going to say, no, I'm going to put that back. Um, if I go to their website, uh, the company's website, and I don't see an address of the company, I want to see an actual address so I can Google it and I can see what that company looks like. And I'm not accepting a PO box or the FedEx office. If you put, if they put labs in their name, I want to see a building with their name on it or laboratory research is done, for instance. So um, those are some red flags for me right then and there. Um, if they promise quick results, you know, things don't come quick. Um, if they make amazing claims, you know, you know, on whatever, weight loss, anti-aging, it'll grow your hair back, whatever. Amazing claims deserve amazing evidence, to paraphrase Carl Sagan. Uh, so I'm going to look for that. And that's one of the things I do on my website. I, if, if they make claims for a product, I'm going to try and find the research on that product or the ingredients. And if I find you know they're 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 you know saying this is going to work in people, and I see the research was on mice and rats. Well, you know we're not mice and rats, and I'll tell people about that. So whether or not it works, or not, that's a different story. You know, but we, the only way to really know is to take it in the lab and test it. You know, and you know lab animal research is a great jumping off point, but I like to see research on on us because we're people. So those are some things that that I would say watch out for. Cool. Now, in in general, when it comes to supplementation, uh, obviously it's yeah, it's been our been in the kind of fitness industry, health, fitness, wellness industry for a very long time. Um, what are, are are what if any are kind of some of the common myths, uh, you know, around supplementation? Things that maybe you know they, people say you should have or you shouldn't have. Um, any major kind of things that stand out to you as as myths that you hear day to day or have heard over the years that you you know would be important to strike down. Well, everybody's got a green drink these days, yeah. and yeah, and, and nobody likes to hear me say it, but I can make a better green green drink in my kitchen, and so can you. Just take some food and put it in a blender, throw in some protein powder, and drink it. Um, I mean, I, I I tell people I've got a little little recipe on my website that I tell people, you know, I've got blueberries and strawberries and spinach. Heck, I even put lima beans in my in, in my smoothie. Uh, but there there's no green drink that can measure up to what's in food, and and again, the, the easy way, one easy difference. 
between them is that food's going to have fiber. These greens drink have no fiber. Fiber is 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 anti-inflammatory, can reduce the risk of colon cancer. It's it's food for your microbiome. Everybody likes to talk about the probiotics these days. Well, they eat fiber and they give off compounds that help us stay healthy. Uh, so you know the green drinks are that's that's uh, you know in the red drinks to whatever they're whatever they're talking about these days. I like to get the get it from food. So I often say when people say to me, "What's your best supplement?" The best supplement for most people is a salad or a fruit and veggie smoothie. So that's something that jumps out at me. Um, Anti-aging products, um, you know, they they you know they, they often make a lot of a lot of grandiose claims. Uh, generally, I, I see a lot of animal research. I don't see a lot of people research on them. Um, I'd like to see some research showing that it'll do X, Y, and Z in people and not a lab animal. So you know, I'm a little skeptical of that. Uh, I'm 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 generally I'm pretty uh, red flag for me is weight loss supplements. You know, I, I think the majority of them don't work the way they're they're touted to on the internet. Um, again, there are some things that I may you know recommend over others, but the vast majority of them, you know, especially the ones that you know again make a lot of over the top claims, I, I tend not to believe a lot of them. And the research kind of bears things out. Um, so you know, you know, take a pick. You know, pick a topic and we'll talk about it. But there's there's a lot of things out there. I would you know I would probably say stay clear of. Number one, for instance, you know one one time topic that I was just asked about later, just, just yesterday, as a matter of fact, was uh, there's a product out there called Raspberry Ketones, which is a uh, very popular weight loss product. Um, it was advertised uh, you know, on the Dr. Oz show years ago as being a, a miracle in a bottle to burn fat. Well, the miracle is based on two mouse studies. Uh, you know, I, I, didn't, I still don't see any human research that raspberry ketones cause any weight loss, but it's very, it's still very popular. You know, the same thing with say Garcinia Cambogia, which is a still one of the most popular weight loss products on the internet. Uh, I, I see, um, iffy research at best that it'll work. I, when I investigated, I found just as many studies that said it didn't work as did work. And some of those studies were very small. So it's very hard to draw conclusions. Um, so, you know, again, weight loss issue, weight loss products are, for me, eh, something that I, I, I tend to be skeptical, but I like to keep an open mind. Uh, again, that's why I always try to let the research drive my opinions. So, well, I actually have proof that the raspberry ketones work because I had a friend who <laughs> took them and he, you know, he also, of course, uh, he, he dropped his calories down to 1,500 calories a day, but he took the raspberry ketones and he lost weight. Yes. So yeah, and that proof. And that makes perfect sense. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. You know, you drop your calories to 1500, everybody's going to lose yeah. weight basically on that on that low calorie diet. So um a, a big thing nowadays is anxiety and sleep. And there are a lot of supplements that make claims that they'll help you sleep, that they will relieve anxiety. Have you yeah. found that any supplements can do this? Yeah, the, the, pretty much a lot of the over-the-counter sleep supplements all contain as their magic ingredient, in my opinion, melatonin. Okay, Mel Melatonin is a, a, a neurotransmitter, it's a brain chemical, and it helps us fall asleep. And when I look at these, you know, these products when I'm shopping through, you know, the store, and I always go to the vitamins, you know, section because I like to see what's out there. And I look at these sleep supplements. I usually see they'll contain, you know, tryptophan. Okay, um, but you know, there's very little tryptophan. That's not going to have much of an effect. 
effect, it's going to be melatonin that's going to have the main sleeping, uh, you know, inducing ingredient in all these products. You know, sometimes they'll, they'll talk about they'll have an amino acid called L-threonine, uh, L-theanine. I always mispronounce that. Uh, and that's like uh, a common. Yeah, I, I mispronounce a lot of this stuff because, you know, <laughs> sometimes these big five syllable words, I have to, you know, figure out how to, how to pronounce it myself before I do a YouTube video on them. But um, yeah, but L-theanine is a kind of a calming amino acid. There's some research that may help. Uh, again, how much is hard to say. I've also seen some research. It may not help, but, you know, it's it's pretty pretty innocuous as it goes. But, you know, melatonin, I think, is the main ingredient in these calming supplements. So you don't have to get a, a fancy supplement. Just get melatonin. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, <laughs> melatonin is, is again when you and again I would I would I would invite the listeners to go to you know local whatever Walmart wherever and just go and look at some of these over the counter sleep supplements. You're going to see melatonin as an ingredient, um, and it, it's again it's in pretty much all of them, which tells me you know it's the secret sauce. Now, how about your opinion on the CBD products? So I, everybody asked me about C, you know, cannabidiol and CBD and all that stuff. I've, I've held off looking at okay. it uh, in depthly because I, you know, one week it's legal, one week it's not legal. You know, does it contain can, you know, does it contain, you know, THC? Doesn't it contain THC? I, you know, some, and I haven't really committed to it too much because I'm not sure if it's, you know, if it's a supplement or not. Um, but what I can say is that cannabidiol, CBD oil, uh, should not have any kind of hallucinogenic Hallucinogenic THC in it, or extremely small amounts, which shouldn't have an effect. Um, I have heard uh, some evidence that uh, you know CBD may help seizures. Okay, great. Um, people have told me it helps, you know, sometimes arthritis pain and alleviates moods problem. I don't see a lot of research on it at this point. Um, they'll say uh, that it, it, it we have these cannabinoid receptors in our brain that CBD uh, latches onto, and I've also also seen data that says we don't have any CBD receptors in our brain. So I'm, I'm on the fence. I'm intrigued by what people tell me. Um, and, and, I, and I do take them at their word. Some of these people I've met and they, they, they've said that, hey, my life has turned around since I've taken this stuff. Could it be a placebo? It's possible. Um, but I, I've heard enough of it from other people that I'm intrigued, but I haven't done any any really in-depth research on it. And I, and that's because I don't know if there's a lot of really good research on it at this point, because I think researchers uh, are, are scared of, tr of trying it for fear that they may be, you know, in, indicted for breaking the law by testing some illegal substance. So again, I'm on the fence. I haven't looked at it in depthly, and but eventually I will. Just a matter of time. Now, I guess in the, the last uh, topic, which is always a hot topic, is that of pain, you know, back pain and neck pain, stuff that so many people suffer from. Are there any supplements that can help relieve besides what we know, you know, ibuprofen? Um, yeah. So – so if we're talking arthritis pain, which is, you know, very common in, in, in America, you know, specifically osteoarthritis pain, you know, I, the thing I would look at first would be uh, glucosamine sulfate. It's been around a long time. There is research that glucosamine sulfate, uh, when you take it for a couple months, uh, can reduce uh, osteoarthritis pain in some individuals. Obviously, that's going to vary according to how bad the pain you're having is, how what the degree of arthritis you have might be. Um, if people are going to take a look at that, I would say – 
look at the back of the label of the product and make sure it's glucosamine sulfate and not glucosamine HCL. That's in a lot of products as well. It's a different type of glucosamine and I don't believe it's as effective. When I look at the research, most of the positive research is on glucosamine sulfate, not glucosamine HCL. Um, Sometimes they'll package glucosamine sulfate with MSM methane, and that's a another uh, anti-pain, anti-arthritis pain compound, which again also does have some evidence uh, for it. I'd be a little cautious with the glucosamine, uh, if I can come backtrack for a second, if people have uh, diabetes because glucosamine, it does contain sugar. And I have actually in the past talked to diabetics who told me they took it, their blood sugar went up. I do think it's a rare uh, uh, side effect. I don't see it mentioned much in the research, but I have, I have met people who said, hey, I took this and a few hours later, my blood sugar went through the roof. So it is something for uh, for diabetics to uh, de- definitely just monitor your blood sugar if you're going to be taking that product. But that'd be something I would take a look at. Um, fish oil also has some uh, anti-inflammatory effects in the body. So, uh, and again, I like I said, I, I've also met other people who swore by fish oil helping their arthritis, uh, pain in their hands and their feet and stuff like that. Um, again, there is, there is some research that it may help. It just you know it depends again on how, the degree uh, of pain. Now there are some other. Uh, topical things as well. Uh, capsaicin, which comes from chili peppers, can temporarily deaden the pain uh, of you know muscle aches and pains and sprains and arthritis pain, etc. And there is even some, some research on capsaicin, you know, rubbed on the skin can actually help as well. So that'd be something to take a look at for pain too. Cool. Now, I guess just to cap off our, our discussion on supplementation, which has been great, um, are there any supplements that you would say are, are must-haves or you know, really should be a good idea that, that people should have? Um, or you know, is it really specific to the population and the, and the goal? Well, yeah, it definitely does. Uh, it is population specific. What are we talking about? Um, so again, I'll always fall back on food, food first, supplements second. Uh, one product that I do like and I do take myself is something called aged garlic extract. It's not garlic. It's an extract of garlic. Um, I, and they actually, the company actually has various studies they've conducted over the years and sponsored uh, that it actually helps, uh, you know, blood pressure, helps the blood vessels stay healthy, uh, may help the micro biome, stay a little healthy, stuff like that. Uh, I'm intrigued by their research uh, and that's something I actually take myself. So that would be something uh, across the board, I would say. But again, it really does uh, it really does you know, vary according to what we're talking about. One of the things I do tell people is if you are going to take a supplement and you're quote unquote not so healthy, it's always good to run a pass. Yeah, your doctor, but also your pharmacist. Pharmacists are pretty smart cookies when it comes to supplement and drug interactions. Uh, and so and I, like, I like pharmacists because uh, you can walk into, again, Walmart Walmart or Walgreens and go talk to one, you know, and they can, they can usually tell you in a few, few minutes, you know, whether you, you know, this is something you might want to take a look at, or maybe point, maybe it'll point you to something that may be better. Um, and, and again, if anybody's taking any medications, it's always good to, to really talk it over with your doctor and pharmacist. A lot of, a lot of supplements in particular do have, and do have primitive blood thinning effects. And if someone's taking a blood thinning drug, there could be an interaction. And that's one of the reasons why you often hear people say, you know, if you're ever going to have surgery, get off your supplements for a couple weeks. That's because they don't want you bleeding all over the operating table, for instance. So, you know, if you have a blood blood thinning issue, you're taking blood thinners, you know, definitely watch the supplements because it is a very common uh, theme I see in the supplement world. But, you know, I like aged garlic extract. Um, I, I, I also think, you know, a cheap multivitamin is not a bad idea for a vast majority of people. You know, I don't think you have to go the, the mega dose or the expensive vitamins 
you know, I, I think a pretty inexpensive vitamin from a from a good company is probably a, a good thing to do. You can't hurt, uh, you know. So something's going to give you at least a hundred, you know, percent of the RDA if you're not eating totally really well every day. Uh, but again, if you can start your day with some fruit and veggie smoothie, you're starting off to a really good a really good begin to your day. Awesome. Well, Joe, really great information, and we'd love to have you back because I'm sure there's tons of other topics that we can discuss, and you're very knowledgeable, so we would love to hear some of your your thoughts and some of the research that you have on some other topics as well, but where can we find you? So I'm pretty easy to find. If you Google Joe Cannon supplements or Joe Cannon personal trainer, you'll find me, my website, my personal website where I usually write about you know, health and fitness in the personal training world is joe- or joe-cannon.com, C-A-N-N-O-N. And then my supplement website is supplementclarity.com. And that's where I write those big reviews on dietary supplements. Uh, I'm also uh, pretty big on Instagram. You just Google or go on Instagram and just find me. I'm Joe Cannon MS uh, on Instagram. And I usually get on there a couple times a day. And I'm usually taking pictures of my computer screen of different studies that I'm looking at. And, you know, and I, you know, give you little, little tidbits on supplements and health and fitness and all that jazz. That's great. Have you ever, uh, you're actually, a, uh, you're a very good speaker. Have you, ever, Thank you. have you ever taken a class in speaking or ever no. looked into it? Is no, I actually. Good at it. You don't like stutter. I, you don't, if, I haven't heard like an um, uh, you know, a you know, or anything like that. Hey, I appreciate that. No, never, never really did uh, take anything formal. Uh, I have been told I have a voice for radio, probably a face for radio too. But uh, <laughs> no, but I, I do teach personal training, so I, I do talk a lot in front of groups of people. So uh, you know, that's uh, that may be coming through over the air right now. I don't know, but I'll, I'll take I'll take the compliment. <laughs> never considered doing your own podcast. You know, it is on my list of things to do. I, I, I love podcasts. And a matter of fact, when I'm, when I'm driving or I'm biking or walking around the neighborhood, I'm listening to podcasts. Uh, and, and, and so I do love them and I have thought about doing it. I've been, you know, di- dipping my toes in the YouTube world. So I have a few YouTube videos where I, you know, talk about different topics of supplements and health and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I, I would love to be able to do a podcast on, you know, various topics. So maybe we'll talk and you'll tell me how you do your podcast because it's still a bit of, it's a little mystery to me at this point <laughs> anytime you know just you know, any questions you might have you know, feel free to ask away no hey I will do that. so awesome Joe well have a great day and we definitely look forward to having you back hey guys I appreciate it call back anytime I'd love to love to come back on for another visit you know, speaking of use it or lose it um, I, know, I know we talked about this in our intro I feel a little um, a little off today because we haven't really recorded in a while. So as far as like us physically, well, you couldn't make it last. Yeah, week I couldn't and... make it last week, and we spent. So basically, we've you know I've kind of made a conscious effort to limit our interviews and to try to really produce each episode. You know, getting more content as we you know as we did. You know, giving giving studies for each episode. Of course, all of our last few episodes have interviews. Yeah, yeah in no, them, no, no, no. What I mean with what, other stuff. Yeah. But no, yeah, that's what I mean. So basically, for a long time, um, as, as I'm sure anyone who listens to the podcast knows, um, what we would, you know, if we did an interview, we would basically just that would be the show, you know. And um, you know, I felt like you know, there's no reason why we shouldn't have the studies and and do the ask the trainer, and you know, have other information and, and make these episodes real episodes and not just kind of um, lean on the interviews, which I think you know we were doing it. You know, you know, my being lazy. So in in that, so we have a lot kind of a backlogged interviews and so we've kind of really kind of pushing out what we have 
so we haven't recorded much because I kind of want to get to the point where we basically, if we record today, it's going out next week rather than kind of recording today and maybe this will go out in three months or six months or whatever you know that we were doing because there, there are some episodes that we didn't post for like months because months, yeah. you just you, it's great to stock up on stuff but at the same time, I think some of the qualities and you know, I think while we, we tended to get pretty good interviews mostly, I think there's some that are better than others and I think I want to stick with really making sure that when we do interview people that, that, that they're really good and they have something to, to add to the podcast. So, uh, you know, long, a lot, you know, it's a lot of words for me just to say that, you know, we, we haven't recorded much because I want to be closer to the actual publication date. Um, but I felt like, um, because we haven't recorded in a bit, I felt a little off a little, um, yeah, no, that like, I got, uh, I didn't use it. Uh, so I lo- not lost yeah. it, but you know, it's just a little, it's a little different. Yeah, no, no, I, it's, it, it really is true with, with anything. Yeah. Like, for instance, I, I've been playing guitar my whole life, but if I go a few days or a week or so without playing or practicing, I'll, my chops won't be the same. Yeah. I'm sure you feel the same. If you go a week and a half without training, you'll come in and you'll be, you know, you'll be a little rusty, but then yeah. you get it back quickly. Well, yeah, you, you know, so, it's, it's always that. Interesting, like, I'm, I've been writing lately, but I've been writing I've had this novel idea for a long time, and I finally started writing it, and now that I've kind of really gotten into it, I'm noticing like that what I've got now is way better than what I started with, and I'm like, oh, the crap! Case. Now I gotta, I may have to start always over because some of the stuff. Not that I'm the greatest, the world's greatest writer, but I'm like, oh, hey, this this isn't that bad. But but it's kind of like the more recent stuff because I'm really getting into it, uh, and that I'm like I'm getting the repetitions in that the earlier yep. parts is like. Uh, Crap! I gotta go back and and maybe maybe just erase it and start. Oh, that's not uncommon that you go back and you rework things with really any medium, any artistic field. Yeah. So anyhow, just briefly about the interview, I I didn't know what to expect because Ryan's like, oh, we have the he he, it was sort of nonchalant. It's like, oh, we have this interview with this guy. He does Ravdo and he does uh, you know some supplements. So I I didn't know what to expect. But Joe was super knowledgeable and super scientific, and we get a lot of anecdotal information or. You know, opinions coming from people or semi-scientific mm-hmm. information, but Joe was the real deal, right? He had done a ton of research and he was clearly very knowledgeable. And I, I really like the fact that oftentimes with supplements, you hear people not really not want to talk badly about anything and whatnot. But Joe just sort of said it straight. He's like, you know, beware of this, right? You know, food is a better option. And of course, we've heard a lot of this stuff before, but it was nice to hear him put it in a way that was very scientific and very straightforward. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right, we got one more. That's it for any, if you don't have anything, if you don't have anything else to add, um, we go and ask the trainer. So why don't nice. you uh, take, go ahead with the ask the trainer. So, okay. So the question comes from Laura. Hey, Laura. And she asks, hey, Ryan, Tony, and Justin, love the podcast. You you guys have provided great motivation and inspiration on my own fitness journey. I have been training for my first marathon, which is coming in June. And here's some background. I've competed in three and a half marathons and have been an avid runner. I think, for I think that's three half marathons. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> what I was about to say. I've competed three half marathons and yeah. have been an avid runner for six years. Uh, in preparation for the marathon, I've ramped up my running and I'm up to 30 miles per week. I've been dealing with some persistent calf soreness and pain, especially after long runs. I have two questions. Should I eliminate calf work from my strength routine? What should I do to deal with the calf soreness? All right, cool. So, uh, Well, so- first off, if you listen to the early part of the episode, how about a compression sock? <laughs> 
Uh, That's uh, a good honestly, callback. It, it might be. <laughs> yeah. it, it might help. It might help, even if it helps a little bit. Compression pants uh, or tights or whatever. But yeah, no, no, no. Hey, that's a good, a good idea. Why don't you try some compression tights? Um, But beyond that, okay. So a couple, a few things. Um, So one, you've never been a fan of doing calves. No, I I think it's person specific. So I think you know your calves get worked a lot with what whatever you're doing. So if the goal is like building massive calves, you know, if you're bodybuilding, then maybe you need to do, you know, work extra calves. I don't think calves in isolation is necessary unless there's a specific weakness or if there's, you know, some kind of an instability that might require it. So I would say, you know, while you're preparing for the marathon, whatever your reasons for doing calves, calves, I don't think you necessarily have to add extra calf work. Um, unless, like I said, there, there's a specific weakness there that, you know, that you really need to target it. Otherwise, I don't think it's necessary, you know, while you're doing your regular strength, if you want to kind of more do compound movements for the legs and, you know, focus on a couple of couple of things, you know, really make if running is the focus, let running be the focus. And, and, you know, if you're isolating your calves, I don't see how it's really all that important and and necessary right now. So you might be better off with maybe some squats and um, maybe if you want to do some lunging and um, movement, you know, like kettlebell swings and, you know, you know, if you want to do things that work the legs as a unit that's fine but i don't know that you need to isolate anything um second for the injury so yeah you know as justin recommended maybe maybe some compression um pants or compression socks might might be useful um or compression tights um make sure you're you know part of it also just might be overdoing it so you i mean not you know you're not used to the amount of running so if you've done half marathons it seems like you're used to running um so it might be that if as the mileage has gone up uh you're 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 just reacting to it so it depending on you know if the marathon's in june maybe take it a step back and uh, you know go back to an earlier mileage so let's say if you jumped up to 35 miles a week maybe drop down to what you were before and and increase a little bit slower um that might be one option um really make sure your recovery is you're resting enough that you're sleeping enough that you're stretching that you're recovering properly that you're warming up properly before your your runs trying something like a a foam roller type thing might help a little bit maybe maybe not um you know you, you could you could try it you know you know that could help maybe massage um you know there's kind of conflicting evidence on on how um you know, beneficial they are, you know, as a kind of a therapeutic modality. So they definitely feel good and can help. But again, I've, you know, you, you, depending on what you read or what comes out every week, you're going to hear different things as far as like how much they're going to help as far as injuries. So, you know, I would say, you know, if, it, if, it, if the soreness persists, you might need to get it checked out. Maybe you want to, you know, work with a physical therapist. Uh, you know, really a lot depends on how important the, you know, a lot depends on, on the pain and how important it is that you, you complete that marathon. You know, if it's a situation where you have to do it and you're willing to fight through a certain amount of pain for it, you know, that that's, you know, a call that you kind of have to make. Um, you know, more likely than not, it's probably just, you know, a little bit of overuse. And if you take it back a notch and kind of build a little bit slower, you should be okay. Um, and also like, you know, it could also just be that you're doing, you know, you're doing too much with the, with the extra strength training. So, you know, try, yeah, try eliminating those extra calf exercises and see if that helps uh if it does great if not you know shoot us a message and um you know if, depending on where you are maybe we could refer somebody to you to talk to i know a great if you're in new york i know a great guy um who is also a runner um that you can work with you know but, the odds what the odds of her being in new york are um pretty like actually better than you would think how so because uh, if you look at our demographics which have like of all the cities new york is our by far our biggest city so actually 
Um, well, it's one of the biggest English-speaking okay, cities so. in the world. So right, so I you, guess you tried to make it sound like it was going to be like you know whatever. You it know, is really still small, very small, but no, it's not very small. I'd say it's upwards of like ten percent. You think ten percent? Wow, that's not small. That's not small at all. Yeah. I I wasn't thinking that ten percent was. Yeah, no, something like that. I mean, I could I could be I'm, a large percentage of our listeners okay. are in New right, York. All so right. all right, yeah, yeah. See so, so what you try to do there, but you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, anything else to add? No, I think we're uh, we're good for today. All right, cool. Well, that's it. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin. Where can they find us? Oh, yeah. You can find us all at uh, thegymwits.com. All of our stuff is there, our social media. Um, uh, yeah, everything is up, up there, Instagram, um, all that good stuff. Uh, yeah. Uh, hopefully soon we'll have some articles up if, if our intern will start writing articles. Um, and that's it. Wait, is, is she still our intern, or now is she officially like a member of the gym wits? We can't pay her. So. Uh, that doesn't mean she can't be a gym wit. Okay, cool. She's in the theme as well. So Yeah, true. Okay, fine. So she's a gym wit. Nice. Okay. You hear that, Crystal? You're a gym wit. <laughs> okay, now start writing. All right. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic, reminding you that truth does not sell. And we are the gym wits. <laughs>